Welcome to a Healing Peace podcast. We strive to create a place where women can come together to talk, grow, be refreshed, and renewed as we navigate life's hurdles. Inside this podcast series, we discuss shaping our identity, where we provide tools for conquering life's waves. Let's dive in. Glad to have you back. This podcast episode is our recap show, where we provide additional insights and tools to our previous podcast in this segment of Taking a Stand. I hope you enjoyed what you heard so far. Before I jump into the insights, I hope that it was clear from our interview with the Christian counselor how family dynamics influence our lives. More importantly, how Satan can use those dynamics to keep us from growing and remaining trapped in trauma. In the Christian realm, households can reflect God's purpose of unifying us through Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 5.22 to 6.9, Paul identifies household codes. These codes are women being subjected or submissive to their husbands, husbands loving their wives as themselves, children obeying and honoring their parents, fathers not discouraging their children with brute force or excessive severity. He ends the codes by addressing slaves with their masters. By the grace of God, we no longer have to worry about the slavery portion. Now, as I've said this so far, I'm pretty sure you probably start wrestling with the notion of wives submitting themselves to their husbands. Ladies, to be honest, I often wonder if I was to ever get married, could I be this way? I've been single for a long time. Despite my singleness, I also know that due to our culture, we no longer want to view ourselves in this manner of submissiveness. I get that one. <laughs> Why? Why? I think we've all had some type of experience where we've seen or experienced it for ourselves, the abuse of this understanding. Women not being treated properly, viewed as weak, not being listened to or being taken advantage of. Yes, we've heard about these experiences. And as I mentioned before, may have experienced it ourselves. And actually, due to our society and how we have treated one another, there's actually a lot of biblical scholars who've come together to uh, explain away this role as wives. They're like, uh-uh, we ain't doing this. No, we ain't. And 
they challenge that this is a very archaic perception of understanding women's roles and how they should be amongst men. Their perspective is usually coming from, man, women, we've suffered enough at the hands of men. Before I feel this flame any longer, I want to take a step back. I'm gonna go way back, way, way, way back to creation. Initially, we were created for man to inspire and spur them on. We heard the term before, murder helpers. Nevertheless, we both were created in God's image. But then there was that whole garden issue with Adam and Eve and they being deceived by the serpent. They ate the fruit and their eyes were open. God intervened and was like, what in the world? What are y'all doing? What? Well, 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 the outcome was that God had to discipline their actions. He cursed the serpent in the ground. Now, I must admit, what happened to Adam and Eve, I always thought of it as a curse. They cursed man. This was not the case. God, he didn't actually curse Adam and Eve. Instead, he cursed the serpent in the ground. He did, however, punish Adam and Eve. Adam's punishment was that he'll work the land but never be satisfied by it. I would like to add that death now enters the picture. For Eve's punishment, she will have pain in childbirth, long for her husband, and he will rule over her. Now, uh, there's another debate about what this longing means. Is it a sexual longing? A longing to be independent of her husband, which leads to trying to dominate him? Or is it a longing to be married despite the pain of childbirth and the dominion of the husband over the wife? I actually lean toward the last answer. Now, let's fast forward to Ephesians. We have the same language, wives submit. The man is the head. Ladies, I don't know if you caught that right there. You can actually blame Eve for all these problems. I'm just fooling. Because if it wasn't for Eve, it'll be somebody else who wanted to go and decide to do things on their own accord. Anyways, in the Old Testament, this way of being in terms of level submission was fueled by punishment. However, in the New Testament, this way of being is being fueled by the hope that we have in Christ. In Colossians 3, language is added to the way of being as it's fitting to the Lord. 
Therefore, as we submit to Christ, his guidance, his direction, there is now a model to do the same for husbands. Here's the key in this too. Your actions are not based upon how your husbands are doing in their roles of loving you. Nope, not at all. Your behavior is related to Christ. But this expectation is the same for your husbands. He is called to love you as himself. One would not beat or abuse oneself like, oh, I was looking in the mirror and I decided to punch myself. Like, what in the world? Or I uh, decided to, you know, stab myself. Like, what in the world? But instead, a person, you know, should take care of his own body. And in, in, in that taking care of his own body, I, you wouldn't expect them to not. And so this is the same understanding carried out in your relationship as a wife. But as I said before, we have abused these principles. We have caused harm to one another in our relationships. And, you know, Satan, he uses our family dynamics to inflict harm upon us. In order for us to have victory, the Bible does provide a blueprint on how our households should function. By implementing these roles, we add value to our lives in the form of peace. We also display godly principles to those who are watching. Think about it. Say for instance, a friend invited you over. As soon as you stepped your foot in the house, you witnessed your friend cutting down her husband. You witnessed your, her husband being extremely selfish, only thinking about his needs. The kids was cussing at the parents and dismissing their requests. You eventually see the husband yelling and throwing his son in the wall for disrespecting the household. You saw it all. I bet the next time she invited you over, you declined. Like, oh, yeah, do they not know I'm here watching all this? This is not my soap opera of the day. How about, though, someone else invites you over and you go in their home and it's the complete opposite? You witness love, stability, respect joy, laughter, and peace in the household. You feel welcomed and loved. The next time they invite you, you say yes quickly, and you want others to come with you to experience the love that you felt. Again, 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 I am not advocating the abuse of these passages. Rather, when rooted in God's truth and having a partner rooted in that truth, what a beautiful environment you create. 
And what is key in these passages as well is that both are pursuing God's truth. I also want to indicate too that this level of submissiveness is in the context of marriage. It's not in the context of our everyday lives when we're hanging out with our best male friend or our male coworkers. We're not being called to be in that submissive role, but it's in the form of a committed, unified, wholesome, godly relationship. As I noted previously, Satan's deeds of darkness includes conflict within our communities. He, he doesn't want us to maintain the household codes that I just talked about. Instead, he wants our family to remain broken and disunited. As you listen to the recap of taking a stand against schemes, think through how to stand firm in truth, righteousness, and faithfulness when interacting or dealing with family members. Whew. Also remember to go to God for strength. You do not have to battle these issues on your own strength. Lastly, as you listen to the recap of taking a stand for family wholeness, remember to use good communication skills to express your feelings and hurts. Do not forget to view the situation through the eyes of the other person. In fact, this is your homework assignment. You know how I love to give challenges. Your assignment in relationships is to use good communication skills to express your feelings and hurts. In addition, take a moment to view the situation through the eyes of the other person. This will actually keep you from overreacting. Ladies, you can apply this assignment to all relationships and not just your family. Highlight. Ephesians 6.14 states, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins, loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Just as an FYI, gird means to fasten or belt on. Yes, I had to look that up for myself as well. The cool thing about this passage though, is that in Isaiah eleven fifteen, it reveals Jesus doing the same thing. He has righteousness and faith wrapped around him. God never tells me to do something that is impossible. In this case, he gives us an example in Christ. So as I am standing firm, I have righteousness, faithfulness, and truth wrapped around me. 
having righteousness, faithfulness, and truth strapped to me makes me ready for what is to come next. But there's more. In 1 Peter 1.13, Peter refers to us being ready by preparing our minds for action, being sober in spirit, and fixing our hope on grace. This scripture adds to how we stand firm. We must prepare our minds for action. We do this by being sober in spirit, humble before God, realizing that we always need him, knowing that we can't do anything without him, that he is our strength. We remain at Jesus' feet and that we surrender our spirit to God. We also prepare our minds by fixing our hope completely on the grace that Jesus brings me. This means that in every circumstance, Jesus will be revealed to us and that grace will be brought to us. Yes, in every situation, Jesus will be brought to us in revelation of him and his grace. What an incredible promise that in the midst of all of my suffering, my uncertainty, my pain, and even the joys of life, Jesus will be revealed and I will continually and you will continually receive his grace. Highlight, like what are some healthy things that can be done to begin that type of conversation where not everyone is running out the house mad at each other? Yeah, yeah, they're, if they're open to this, the two scriptures I refer them to most of the time are overcome evil with good and love overcomes a multitude of sin. So if you love people unconditionally, you can go to them one-on-one -on -one and say, you know, you know, and use those I statements, not you, 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 because that will cause them to become defensive. And again, it's communication skills. So you're just sharing with them, you know, I feel blank when you blank can we please blank you know <laughs> and I actually have people practice putting those words in there like I feel hurt when you blame me for blah 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 can we please work on um both seeing our part in this situation so that's just one example and that's a great example it's kind of interesting, though, because as you state that, it also forces me as the individual to know my feelings and to understand uh -huh. um, how that person is affecting my own behavior. Right. And so then it actually becomes more of uh, self-reflection for me as well to uh -huh. be able to identify it versus I'm just angry. Uh -huh. And within that... Is there like some little hints or steps an individual can do to kind of hone into what those feelings are so that they are, um, that they're able to process it a little bit better? Can you clarify your question a little bit? So um, my thought process is, is more along the lines of being in a relationship or, or, or a situation 
where mm -hmm. a person's behavior triggers something, but mm. you don't really have the words to understand, or not the words, but um, not necessarily in tune with your own feelings to know exactly, you know, what behavior hurt you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So how does a person begin to work through identifying this is the long-term hurt that's being caused and how do I start to process it in the way so I can finally go and have this conversation without blowing up and getting crazy? Right, right. So I ask questions. Sometimes it has to do with feeling like someone else is favored. And sometimes favoritism can cause those hurt, deep, deep feelings. And you might not even know that that's where it's coming from. Or some people in a family might have good intentions, but they might say things that hurt us and they don't even mean to, but they hurt us. Um, it might be about our weight. It could be about what we're wearing. It could be any number of things, superficial things, but it can cut us pretty deep. Um, so just a matter of uncovering what it actually is that's causing the hurt and then taking it apart and realizing what, why it was said, how it was said, maybe it was, and, and it always helps to do a role reversal and say, okay, mm -hmm. how would you feel, you know, if it was you in that place instead? The other thing is be empathetic, put yourself in their shoes because they were probably treated that way themselves. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helps. You know, it could have been a long-standing pattern in a family because sometimes we have unhealthy patterns that, you know, we have to stop the cycle. Because just because my grandmother, um, you know, made fun of my sister when she was young, you know, for being overweight, maybe she thought that she was teasing her in a, in a in a funny way you know, but it could have been just very, very deep. It could have hurt very much. Mm -hmm. Or even not taking a stand for someone, like my sister was made fun of on the bus, you know, for being overweight and I didn't take a stand and I regretted that. And we talked about it as adults and that I believe helped heal our relationship. Mm -hmm.